This is Archive Atlanta, episode 95, Candler Mansions. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. Recently I've had a few people reach out to me to say they're taking their own little driving tours um, based on locations from my podcast episodes. And you have no idea how happy this makes me because my goal from day one was to get more people aware and connected to the history around them. And then, you know, the second goal was hopefully to get you out to explore new places, maybe somewhere you've never been. So hearing that people are doing that, that they're driving around and someone's making notes, it's just It has put me on cloud nine for the whole week. And I think that COVID and quarantine and social distancing and all this has really inspired people to get outside more or at the very least find new activities that don't include bars and restaurants. This week's episode is perfect for that. And I am talking about a list of beautiful homes that are still standing. They're in Atlanta and you can see almost every single one of them by car. The Candler name is all across Atlanta, but even when not expressly spelled out for us, there are many places associated with the Candler family that you may have never realized. Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, Zoo Atlanta, The Met, even Bank of America, the Biltmore Hotel, Briarcliff Road, and of course, Coca-Cola. That's just to name a few. The Candler family's generational wealth allowed Ace's children to build their own respective mansions, and each is still around today, some public and some private. This week, we're talking about all the remaining Candler homes in Atlanta, their origin stories, architects, dramatic tales, and how you can see them today. A huge shout out to Sarah Butler, um, who I've interviewed in episodes 58 and 60. She not only confirmed my list, but in the spirit of OCD that we share and I admire, she added a few other bonus properties that I will try to mention as well. Please go check out her work at acesbriarcliff.com. I will put a link in the show notes for you guys as well. Let's start with our cast of characters. Asa Griggs Candler Sr. and Lucy Elizabeth Howard were married in 1878, and they had five children. From oldest to youngest, you have Charles Howard, Asa Jr., Lucy, Walter, and William. Before 1900, the family lived together in a house on Seaboard Avenue that was purchased shortly after their parents' marriage. Neither the home nor the street exists today, but that leads me to the first house in today's episode. In 1888, Asa Candler purchased one-third interest of the formula, trademarks, and manufacturing of Coca-Cola. By 1892, he formed the Coca-Cola Company. And I tell you this to help you understand that by the time Callan Castle was breaking ground in Inman Park, Candler was a very prominent and successful man. And if you listen to the two episodes about Inman Park, you know that this was the premier white mover and shaker suburb of Atlanta. Asa was a little late to the party, moving to the neighborhood in 1903, which was more than a decade after its establishment. His brother, Bishop Warren Candler, was already living next door, and that house is also still standing at 137 Elizabeth. Named for the Candler Ancestral Ireland home, the 14,000-square-foot Callan Castle was completed in 1903, just in time to host the wedding of his daughter Lucy. The lot and house, which is today at 145 Elizabeth Street, originally cost $13,000. If you adjust that for inflation, we're talking like over $400,000. 
Architect George Murphy was hired to design this Beaux-Arts mansion, and he had already worked on Inman Park Methodist Church, which is just around the corner, and then three years after this house, he would be brought on to design the Candler Building. A stained glass portrait of Lucy Candler, the mother, is inside the interior foyer, and the Candler coat of arms, which, this is important because it's a family thing that you'll see pop up in all the children's homes, um, is also in stained glass on each side of the front door. I talked about this in the Inman Park episodes, but the interesting corner position of Callan Castle on this lot was not exactly accidental. Through the trees, or as the crow flies, it faced the home of Ernest Woodruff, who was Candler's business competition and rival. In 1916, Asa set his sights on becoming Atlanta's mayor, and someone running against him, a man named Jesse Armstead, leaked to the press that Callan Castle was undervalued at only $22,000, so basically saying he was cheating on his taxes, um, but its true value was 144000 and Candler had to convince the press that these were unfounded accusations. Shortly after being elected mayor, Asa gave up daily control of the Coca-Cola company. And by 1919, he's transferred almost all of his stock to his five kids. So what would you do? Would you attempt to run a company with your five siblings? Of course not. You would sell. And that is what the Candler kids did. They sell Coca-Cola to a consortium of buyers led by Ernest Woodruff. And this is important because the money from the sale, which is, I think, supposed to be about $25 million, was used to fund the mansions that you see today. Let's start with Charles Howard, oldest child that was called Howard by his family and friends. He married Flora Glenn, who grew up in one of the Grand Dames in Inman Park. Howard and Flora married and then lived for four years at the Glenn House, which is also still standing on Edgewood Avenue. And in 1907, they completed their Inman Park home, which stands today at 188 Elizabeth Street. The couple and their three children lived in this house until 1920, the year that they would move to Callenwald. Now, before we get to that property, I want to move on to the second child, Asa Candler Jr., or Buddy. While Charles Howard and family were living in Inman Park before the Coca-Cola cash influx, Buddy was purchasing land on the future Briarcliff Road. Asa Sr. was financially involved in the development of Druid Hills, and Asa Jr., or Buddy, purchased a large tract of farmland in the neighborhood where he planned to build a big grand mansion. And I highly recommend you read the stories about Buddy Candler on Sarah's site, but around 1912, uh, the Atlanta Speedway, which he'd been involved in, had gone belly up, and so that leaves Asa Jr. without the money he needed for his house plans. Instead, he moves his wife, Helen, and their children into the existing farmhouse on the land. And they would spend almost eight years operating a dairy farm and providing products to Fort McPherson and other businesses around Atlanta. Once Buddy gets that Coca-Cola sale money, ground would break on the Briarcliff Mansion. The family temporarily moved out of their farmhouse and into 901 Oakdale Road, also still standing today, where they waited for the development of the grounds and the estate. Money woes would continue to plague Buddy, and all the while, the lifelong competition between him and his older brother Howard was playing out in real time. Charles Howard Candler had finished his new home, named Callenwald, again, not to the Irish Callan heritage, and it was in the same fashionable Druid Hills as Buddy. Originally on 27 acres, the 27,000 square foot home was designed by Henry Hornbostick, who also designed Emory University. The Candler seal was placed around the home. It had a music room with an organ, just like his father's Callan Castle, along with a multi-head shower, rare for the time and very much an extravagance. The Candlers lived in the home for 39 years. 
and two years after Charles' death, his widow donated the estate to Emory University. Today, this is an events facility, and so a lot of people hear Callenwalds, and you've probably been to a wedding. I was lucky enough to go to a wedding a few years ago, or you've been to you know, some kind of art event or a lecture or something. And so this is one of the public Candler homes that you can visit. The third Candler child, Lucy, married William Owens in a ceremony inside Callen Castle, and the couple would live there for seven years before moving out in 1910. As her father became more involved with Druid Hills, he had a house built there for her as a gift for his only daughter. The Goose, as the house was named, became home for Lucy and William and their family. Sadly, they would only live there for about four years before William dies inside the house from a combination of influenza and high fever. After his death, Lucy continued living here with the kids, but the family was victim to a break-in the following year. Um, so it should come as no surprise that a Candler was targeted by an extortionist, as Sarah has told some incredible stories about the Candler building, and then I talked about some black hand drama in the Inman Park episodes. Turns out Lucy Candler was also being targeted, and the man broke into the house one night and, needless to say, scared the crap out of her. Her father, Asa Candler, actually moves into Druid Hills just after this, and his house is with an eye shot, but we'll get to that house soon. Now, this may be disqualified on a technicality, but the original house, the Goose, that Lucy lived in burned in 2009, but it was rebuilt in almost the exact manner of the original. And so this structure now is at um, 1470 South Ponce de Leon Avenue, and it is part of the Padilla Junior High School campus. A few years after the break-in and after Candler's wife was diagnosed with cancer, Lucy moved out and into her father's newest home just across the street. The senior Asa Candler's new 17,000-square-foot home was a neoclassical cream-colored brick with white-marbled columns, and it still sits today at 1428 Ponce de Leon Avenue. It was designed by Reed and Schutze and completed in 1916, which is the same year he was elected mayor, and it cost him $210,000. Like I mentioned earlier, it was pretty much across the street from Lucy Candler's home. In Sarah's research, she found mention of the house being called the Lemon Pie, most likely a reference to the gold brick and the white marble. Inside was a bowling alley, five bedrooms, and a glass-topped central courtyard that was very inspired by Candler's recent trip to Italy. Today, this is a church. So it is St. John Greek Melkite Catholic Church, and if you are a congregant, you can obviously go in it every Sunday, but the building is sometimes open during special events, sometimes during Phoenix Flies. In January of 1917, Lucy married for a second time to banker Henry Hines, and the ceremony took place in the Lemon Pie House, where they also lived while their grand home was being built. Henry and Lucy moved into the Rainbow Terrace in 1922. This was a Spanish Renaissance-style mansion designed by G. Lloyd Preacher, the same architect as Atlanta City Hall. The house was well-publicized, being labeled as, quote, the only home of its kind, end quote, when it was being built, and then another feature in the paper when it went through every single room listing all of the expensive items. Turns out her Persian rug alone was $10,000. The Heinzes lived here happily for two decades before tragedy hit. For years, burglars had been breaking into the Rainbow Terrace at night, stealing random items from the home or from a purse or a wallet, and Henry vowed to catch the culprits once and for all. In September of 1946, he thought he had his chance. Lucy wakes up, she hears a scuffle, 
And she goes in the other room. She sees her husband fighting with a man. She runs into the other room to grab his pistol. And while she's gone, she hears gunshots. And when she returns, her husband is dead. Guys, this story is crazy. It's been told in many places. So I will put a link in the show notes for anyone that wants to read more about it. After Henry's death, she marries um, an orchestra conductor and cellist, and they end up moving to New York City where he worked and they lived there for many years. Rainbow Terrace was sold shortly thereafter. And then in the 1980s, it gets turned into an individual condominium building and renamed Lullwater Estate. So today that address is 1610 Ponce de Leon, but it is the, so the shape of the house is still there, but just so that you know, the inside are individual condos. Let's go back to Asa Jr. or Buddy and talk about Briarcliff Mansion. It was finally completed in 1922 with a major addition in 1925. Designed by Fraser and Bowden, it had its own music room, a pipe organ, solarium, ballroom, and a fancy shower, just like his brother. It had two large outdoor pools and a greenhouse. And Sarah has done a lot of comparison posts on her Instagram account, um, but you can see the similarities between Briarcliff Mansion and Callenwald and how Buddy was trying to outdo his older brother. This property is also famous for having the early iterations of the city's zoo in the front yard. That's a longer story for another episode, but Buddy Kandler assembled quite the menagerie of animals that he situated along Briarcliff Road so that residents could enjoy them. And this house is well known to many people because it's the only one in today's episode that is abandoned, although it's been being used as a filming location for well over a year or two now. The filming is good. I mean, it has put a new roof on the house, um, but every preservationist would love to see Emery restore the mansion or at least sell it to somebody that can. If you want to drive by, it is at 1260 Briarcliff Road. Speaking of Emery, the fourth Candler child, Walter, purchased 250 acres in around 1925. And the operation he called Lullwater Farms housed his business and his passion, which was keeping and racing horses. The property had a horse track, and their home, called Lullwater House, was a Tudor Gothic revival stone beauty commissioned from architects Ivy and Crook. At 11,000 square feet, it was built from the stone quarried on the site, and it was powered by electricity from a dam and powerhouse on South Fork Peachtree Creek. In 1958, the Candlers had moved out, and the land and house were taken over by Emory University to expand its campus. So today, this mansion is used as the home of Emory's acting president. So if you're president of Emory, you get to live here. Um, And its address is 1463 Clifton Road. But... This is not one you're going to be able to drive to. So the surrounding 154 acres or so of Lullwater House have become Lullwater Preserve. And it's dotted with walking paths, um, but sadly, the racetrack is no longer there. So you cannot pull up to it, I think, unless you have an authorized pass to get in there. But I highly recommend um, exploring the preserve and then taking the path that will lead you practically to the front door of this stunning mansion. And we're going to go back to Buddy once again. He lived at Briarcliff Mansion until 1948, when he sold the house and moved into the penthouse of Briarcliff Hotel and Apartments, which today is at 1050 Ponce de Leon, right across from the Plaza Theater. The Briarcliff was designed by G. Lloyd Preacher, who also designed Rainbow Terrace for his sister, and his development of this nine-story building in 1924 was very much a counter or complement to his brother's development of the Biltmore Hotel. 
At this point in his life, Buddy's first wife had died, and he lived on the top floor with Florence, his second wife. They would live there until he died in 1953. And now that leaves us with the youngest Candler, William. He was the least showiest of his siblings, and as Sarah's research tells us, he preferred to spend his Coca-Cola money on cars and real estate. He actually tragically died in a car accident in 1936. His home, called Rest Haven, was completed in 1918, and it's at 940 Springdale Road. It was designed by the firm of Reed and Hence, having done his father's last house, and it clocked in at only 7,000 square feet. So yes, modest by the Candler family standards. He put all of his funds behind the development of the Biltmore Hotel, which was built in 1924, and it also still stands today at 817 West Peachtree. He eventually sold Rest Haven and moved into the Biltmore as a resident until he died. So there you have it, the story of the Candler family homes, modest and grand alike, and where to see them. Just in time for a hopefully rain-free weekend. Thank you all for listening. Remember to leave a rating or review in your podcast app. Make sure you call the Archive Atlanta phone number 678-465-7161. The voicemail there will give you instructions on how to leave your Atlanta history story. You can also head over to the Patreon link in the show notes to find out how you can support the podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.